This morning we were in Luke chapter 5, and this evening we are in Luke chapter 7. So turn with me with your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. This morning we considered faith versus unbelief, didn't we? And this evening we're going to see faith versus scandal. Luke chapter 7 and from verse 18 and we'll read down to verse 35. Then the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, reported to him concerning all these things, that is the things that Jesus was preaching and doing. And John called two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind people he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen. At the beginning of that reading, we find that John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison because of his really outspoken preaching. You get that when you read the early chapters of some of the Gospels, don't you? There was no one really who preached like John. He didn't fear anyone. He just said it as it is. 
and he did it a bit too much, and he got put in prison. And so he sends his disciples from prison to Jesus with this question in verse 19. Are you the coming one? Are you the Christ? Or do we look for another? How is it that that question came about? Well, it may be that John the Baptist had his own doubts about whether Jesus was the Christ while he was in prison. Or perhaps, maybe it was more likely that it was John's disciples who doubted Jesus. And so John sends them to Jesus to see for themselves. But either way, what is Jesus' answer? Let's have a look. What is Jesus' answer there in verse 22? It couldn't be a more thinly veiled yes, could it? Yes, I am the Christ. But then he puts this little phrase on the end. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Verse 23. And this is where we're going to spend more of our time this evening, God willing. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What does that mean? It's an unusual phrase, isn't it? The original word for offended carries quite a distinctive meaning that sticks in your mind when you think about it. The word here for offended carries the meaning of tripping over an obstacle which you didn't expect to be there and getting very frustrated at it. We've been there, we've all been there, I I have a lot. It's like... When you walk through your house without your shoes on and you step on a piece of Lego or a plug that's been left there and nobody's put it away, you step on it and boy, does that hurt. You know what it's like. You step on something like that, it really hurts and you get very frustrated at it that it was there. The word is scandalisthe. Can you hear what word comes from that? Scandalisthe. Scandal. It's a scandal. Shock and horror tripping over unexpected behavior. So what Jesus is saying to John's disciples here is, yes, I am the Christ, and blessed is he who is not scandalized because of me. It's a warning to John's disciples and to us then, not to be offended at what you don't expect in Jesus Christ, but rather to take him as he is. But what's the scandal? What is the scandal? What could there possibly be about the Lord Jesus which could horrify people? What is there about Jesus that's so unexpected? What's obstacle about Jesus? It's hinted at in verse 34. Jesus is not the sort of Christ that John and or his disciples were expecting. We know from the preaching of John that they expected a fiery and a rigid prophet, baptizing with fire. Do you remember that sort of talk from Matthew 3? They expected Christ to come and cut people down like trees. The axe is laid at the root. Do you remember that? They expected Christ to come preaching wrath on sinners, repentance, purification. But when Jesus did come 
preaching all of those things, he certainly did more than John, he also freely forgave the vilest sinners, shared their homes with them, ate and drank with them, even despised Gentiles, Samaritans, prostitutes, thieves, tax collectors, killers. And this was very hard to watch. They were wincing at it. They didn't know what to make of it. They expected a great man from heaven, full of the glory of God. But what they see in front of them is a carpenter, as poor as the rest of them, with dirt under his fingernails and dusty feet. And that's hard to accept. They were beginning to stumble over it. This much was prophesied by Isaiah. In Isaiah 8, we read this about our Lord Jesus. It says, he will be as a sanctuary, in verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary, but also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The long and short of it is that John and or his disciples are at risk of being scandalized to learn that Jesus does not fit their idea of God's saviour. Have you ever seen that firsthand? How many times have you inadvertently scandalised someone with the idea that Jesus would freely forgive anyone and everyone, even the greatest sinner, if they would only repent and believe in him? How many times have you inadvertently scandalised someone with that truth? And I dare say that's going to happen more and more and more in the future as our society becomes increasingly self-righteous, less and less tolerant. What about yourselves? Have you ever been scandalized or shocked to learn something unexpected about Jesus? I'd love to hear what it is. You can tell me later. I remember myself being offended at the thought that there was absolutely nothing that I could do to impress him or to earn his favor, but that he insists on saving me entirely on his own. That was offensive, scandalous. I dare say that we all know people who would wince at the idea of Jesus bothering with the scum of society and drinking wine. If we truly appreciated what it means that he is the friend of sinners, wouldn't we all be offended? I mean, how do you feel about some of those hardest things that he had to say? These are the same things now that John and his disciples were hearing about, these things that really stuck in their shoe like a stone. How do you feel about things that he said like, there is no one good but God? Or, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. What about this one? The more money you have in the bank, the less likely you are to reach heaven. 
Jesus even teaches, doesn't he, that if we are to enter the kingdom of God, we are going to have to rub shoulders with forgiven sinners, benefit thieves, addicts, abusers, and terrorists as we squeeze through those golden gateposts of grace and glory onto the narrow way, as well as kings and queens and dignitaries. No wonder he warns us, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now what we're exhorted to here with John and his disciples, instead of scandal, is faith in this real person called Jesus of Nazareth. You get that in uh, verses like 30, 33 onwards. Real faith in a real person, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of God, regardless, regardless of our preconceived notions of what he ought to be. We can't put him in a box. Isn't that true? And so as Christians, we walk this terribly thin line of faith in a real person called Jesus Christ, and we must beware of falling off that line into scandal because we have forgotten that he is himself. I want you to think of your parents for a moment, even if they've uh, died. I want you to think about your parents uh, when they were alive or if they are alive. Do you ever expect them to be anything other than what they are? Do you ever think that you would expect them to change who they are or be something else than what they already are? Of course not. They are their own people. They even existed before you were even here. You have no right to expect of them to just change and to fit to what you think. Or put it the other way around, think about your children. Isn't it totally insufferable when they are offended that their parents don't live up to their preconceived ideas of what parents ought to be? This is the sort of thing that we're talking about, expecting Jesus to be something other than what he really is. We are called to faith, to receive him as he is, because he is himself a real person. Now, this warning has always been given to God's people, hasn't it? We can read it all over Scripture. Because we've always been tempted, always been tempted, to squash Christ into a convenient box so that he meets all our expectations. He doesn't shock us or challenge us or change us. What's the second commandment? Do you know? Believe it or not, that's not actually a straightforward answer to that, but our convention is no idols. Listen to what Moses has to say about the second commandment. This is from Deuteronomy 4. Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you on Sinai out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or likeness of any winged bird, and so on and so forth. He says, you didn't see God on the mountain. You can't just go and make up what you think he is. Why does God say no idols? Because we love to make them. We love to make pictures of God which we can comprehend and control 
and that don't surprise us or shock us or scandalize us. We love to say, I think God is, and then fill in the blank ourselves. But Jesus says, blessed is he who, seeing God for who he really is in Jesus, is not offended, but believes in him as he reveals himself. Now, this morning we heard from St. Ambrose, didn't we? The Bishop of Milan. Well, today, this evening, rather, we're going to hear from Calvin. Calvin says this in his Institutes. The Christian mind does not devise for itself any kind of God, but looks alone to that one true God. Nor does it pretend for him any character that it pleases, but is content to have him in the character in which he manifests himself. Isn't that lovely? And that character in which God loves to manifest himself, my brothers and sisters, is our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And it's a scary fact, it really is quite frightening, that if you and I are never shocked by what Jesus has to say or do, then you and I may very well have made an idol. Now, how can you or I tell whether, you, whether or not we believe in Jesus as he is, or if we're just being scandalized, as he warns us in Luke 7? Well, if you have a look here at these verses, look at verse 29, for example. We find here that those who have faith in Jesus hear his words and agree, no matter how hard they are. They see what he does and they believe, no matter how surprising it is. They love him, no matter what the cost. And so it says in verse 29, when all the people heard Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God. To this surprising and scandalous saviour, the despised and scummy tax collectors who work for the Romans, they say, Amen. Amen. They justify God. They call God righteous. They say God is good. Hearing, God, uh, hearing Jesus' hardest teachings, they believe in him as he is. They receive them meekly with faith and say God is good. But there are others who one way or another are scandalized. Look at verse 30. What do they do? They don't receive Jesus' words at all. In verse 30 it says, they rejected the will of God for themselves. Being scandalized by who Jesus is, what he says, how he behaves, they reject the will of God for themselves. They reject God. They reject their own God as he reveals himself in Jesus Christ. They push away their saviour. They push away the forgiveness of sins. They say, no, that is too offensive to me. I would rather my pride, my self-respect and my sin than swallow my pride and take the Lord Jesus as he really is. Now, what were the main objections in these verses, 18 to 35? What were the main objections? I wonder if you spotted them as we were going through. Verse 34 sort of summarizes it lovely there. 
The main problems here, the main scandal that Jesus was causing at the time is that he bothered with sinners and that he doesn't save as we expect him to save. While some were blessed in receiving these truths in faith, others rejected it and so they rejected God. Now, what we're going to look at next is the next little story. In verses 36 to 50, the very same objections are retabled that Jesus is the friend of sinners and doesn't save as we expect. And we are tested to see whether we got the message, whether we have faith or whether we are scandalized. So we're going to read verses 36 to 50 now, and I want you to see if you can see faith versus scandal. From verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, or a notable sinner, a notorious sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, One he owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is given, forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with Jesus began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Did you see it? In this scene, Jesus is in the house of a well-to-do Pharisee, and while at his table, a scandal occurs. A notorious sinner enters unsolicited. You can imagine this conversation just dying and everyone looking, watching. And then she kneels. She kneels down behind Jesus' little couch where he's sitting. It gets worse. She starts weeping. It's extremely awkward. It gets worse still when she lets all of her hair out in the open in public. She takes off whatever was on her head and all of her hair hung loose around her shoulders. 
in the Pharisee's house in front of Jesus and all of these men. You can imagine if they had a WhatsApp group for that little town, they'd all be sending that shock emoji. Can you believe what just happened? This woman let herself in. She kneels behind Jesus. She's weeping. She lets all of her hair out and she starts wiping his feet with her hair to wash his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee is scandalized. But who is he scandalized by? Did you notice that? He's not scandalized by the gate-crashing, notorious, sinful woman, but he's scandalized by Jesus because he accepted her homage He accepted that demonstration of her faith in Christ, verse 39. So he was scandalized by Jesus, but why? Look at verse 39. This man, if he was a prophet, would know who this woman is, what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, she's a sinner. You see, once again, he was expecting Jesus to fit his preconceived ideas of what a godly man should be. Now, in this crazy, super awkward dinner, full of scandal, shock, horror, people holding their breath, appetite is gone, Jesus doesn't seek to diffuse the situation, make it less awkward, or make it a bit more polite. He ups the ante. He ups the ante. He makes it all the worse. And he says in verse 47, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. He says in verse 48 to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. Verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Everyone else in the room is utterly gobsmacked, totally scandalized. Why? Verse 49, he is not the savior that they expected him to be. Who is this? Who is this Christ who forgives sins? He's breaking the mold. You know, this is how Jesus continues to be throughout his ministry, pushing the expectations of the people he came to who were hoping for some second-rate plan B Christ. And in he comes, God in the flesh, breaking into this world of rigid idols and such low expectations for a saviour. Even the apostles were scandalised. In John 6, this is a hard saying that he gives his body and he gives his blood that we might have life. Who can understand it? Or in Mark 8, where Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, that you could die Where is scandal versus faith ultimately tested? It gets harder and harder and harder. Faith, faith against scandal and scandal. Will we hear it? Will we receive it? Will we take it? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, our reading, that the cross is an offence to Jew and Gentile alike. On that cross, God behaved in such a radically scandalous way that it ought to take our breath away. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, became a poor Jew in all of his weakness, in all of his mediocrity, who would otherwise be not even a footnote in history. What could be more offensive to you or me this evening than the truth pinned up literally for all to see on a cross 
that you and I is so crooked inside that the crucifixion of Christ is the only remedy, the only way to be forgiven. You know, if you and I had a really long day and we're just shattered, a cup of tea will fix that. If we have hay fever, a tablet a day. But if you have cancer, you're going to need chemotherapy, maybe surgery. If you have gangrene, well, you're going to have to have a whole limb off. But our sinfulness, our guilt, our unbelief, our scandal that God would say we're not enough, he must save us himself. Nothing short of the death of God in Jesus Christ can take that away. And that's offensive. No wonder Jesus is called the stumbling block. So how can you know that you have faith in Christ and they're not being scandalized? What do you think of the cross? Does the cross provoke from you scandal, revulsion, shock and horror, or faith? Do you have to twist that thing to make it more palatable to you? Or do you take it as it is, as the sweet scandal that saves sinners? Luke 7 is absolutely bristling with content. There's so much in there, isn't there? But we've just seen these things this evening, a warning and an invitation. Warning. Beware of being scandalised because Jesus is more gracious and more loving and more wonderful and kind than you expect. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And the invitation. Take the Lord Jesus Christ as he is. Believe in him because he is more gracious, more kind, more loving, more wonderful than you would ever expect. Allow me to read just a verse from the Psalms and then I'll pray briefly and then we'll sing to close. Not the Psalms, sorry, Isaiah. Isaiah 46. Verses 3 to 5. Then I get there. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he. Even to your grey hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry you even and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? Amen. Let us pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there is no one that we may compare you with. We've not heard of or seen. We haven't even imagined or dreamt of anyone else like you who would be so scandalously loving and kind. We ever bless and worship your holy name for being so gracious to sinners on this earth 
as to send Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, that we may have someone uh, through whom we may be reconciled to you. Father, forgive us for having such meagre expectations of a Saviour. Forgive us for thinking so lightly of you. Forgive us, Father, for thinking that we were something, that we had something to offer you, that you could top us up and then we'd be good enough. Open our eyes that we may see our utter destitution in your sight and open our eyes to see how much fullness there is in Jesus Christ who would give abundantly of his own body and blood that we may be saved. We thank you, Father, in his name. Amen. We're going to sing together now number 559 from Christian hymns, Sinners, Jesus will receive.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.